the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 486 for Sunday, February 2nd, 2014. Wow, that hurt my throat. <clears throat> Smoky bar last night where I played. Welcome to the Mac Observers. Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, cool stuff found. We answer your questions, share your tips, share cool stuff found. This show is sponsored in part by Smile and their PDF pen family. You can read all about them at smilesoftware.com. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I am Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Brown. How you doing today, John F. Braun? Happy Groundhog Day. Happy Groundhog The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 486. <laughs> Excellent movie, by the way. Very, uh, oh, very yeah. deep. Yeah, it, it was. Yes. Yeah. Lighthearted and yet deep simultaneously. Wow. I don't usually have the noisy chair. What did I roll over with this thing? Hmm. That was a loud noise. Uh, There's a game today, too. Somebody's playing a game somewhere, I think. Punxsutawney Phil's playing a game with our winter is what it is. But you know what, Phil? I got your number because yesterday when it was nice and warm out, my son and I replaced the weather stripping on the bottom of the uh, the door in our basement that lets a lot of cold air in. So we knew you were going to do it, Phil. We knew you were going to see your shadow and we knew that more winter was coming. We're on top of it. All right. Right. <sighs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so let's just get right into it here, John. Let's uh, let's go to Michael. If I can, if I can even pull that up. I'm in this weird mode. I didn't quite get enough sleep. I was in a smoky bar, which is really weird for me because uh, most bars actually bars don't allow uh, smoking indoors. But this was a private club. It was an American Legion thing. Nice, great people. Lots of smoke. So uh, I don't know how this show's going to go. Michael writes, I have a question. If I buy a four terabyte external drive, can I use it for time machine and to back up other things? Not time machine. Or should I have an external drive dedicated to time machine? So a good question, Michael. Uh, it's totally possible to do what you want to do. The reason people say you should have an external drive dedicated to Time Machine is because Time Machine will always and or eventually consume all the space that you let it see. So that means all the space available on the volume or the partition. So if you leave your four terabyte drive as just one volume or partition, which is likely how it will come from the factory, then Time Machine will eventually fill that up. Uh, if you want to know that you'll always have space available for other things, the first thing you want to do is use disk utility to partition the drive into, say, a one terabyte partition for Time Machine and a three terabyte partition for your data or however much you want to carve out for Time Machine. And then just know that Time Machine is going to eat all that up, but it won't eat up what you partition separately. And and I think with, you know, with a four terabyte drive, few of us need four terabytes for time machines to have archives going back to our childhood, um, you know, daily archives or weekly or annually or whatever it turns out to be. But um, but, you know, probably if you've got a I mean, I always set time machine to a little bit bigger, maybe 25 percent bigger than the size of the drive that I am backing up. Um, 
you, you and, and you might decide you want double the size of the drive or the size of the data that you're backing up. The size of the drive is not as important as the size of the data, but I set it to maybe, you know, 25, 30% larger. And then I'm good when I'm, when I have control over it. What about you, John? What do you do for time machine? Um, I set up my Synology and I believe I allocate, um, so one for my mini one for, uh, one for the MacBook, And I think I allocated 500 gigs or something like that. Okay. And how, how much, so you have them both with Synology. And I know a lot of you use Synology because we talk about it here. So with Synology and with, with several other NAS, um, Units. The way that you control Time Machine is you set up a different user and you give that user a quota and then you have Time Machine log into your network storage as that user. And then it hits up against its quota and Time Machine does uh, the magic that um, that it's supposed to do. So we'll put a We'll put a link to kind of the, the general um, uh, instructions on how to do that uh, in the yeah. show notes. Yeah, it's kind of like partitioning, but it's not. But it's not. That's right. Yeah, because 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 the nice part about setting up something like a Synology or, or most other NASs is you can set up different um, shares. But but the space used is 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 um, is not chunked up. So you can have you can dynamically kind of move things around. So. So how, how much stuff you have a half a terabyte assigned to Time Machine? How much stuff are you backing up there, John? Uh, pretty much everything. No, no, no. I mean, I, I know. <laughs> uh, how, how much is on the, you said two machines are backing up to that. How much stuff is on those two machines? Is it half a terabyte worth of stuff or is it slightly less or slightly more? Uh, let's see. On the one here, let's see. 201 gigs of 537 available. Okay. And then the other machine... Here, if you can get your Mavericks machine to come up, yeah. Oh, it is now yeah, two fifty two. Okay, uh, so so you're setting it to about a hundred percent of. Oh, of what I'm you're sorry. Backing up. Oh no, and I set this one larger. Okay, it says two fifty two of eight oh five. So I must have made that bigger for some reason. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, because I think I stored my uh, aperture at some point. Yep. So, but the nice thing is you can make it bigger and smaller. No, that's well, not necessarily smaller because you can't make it smaller than the size of the file. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. That's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you could make the quota smaller, and then it won't let you store anything more on there. Nice. Uh, but yeah, you know. Uh, and if I'm smart, I can get into our show notes to put that link in there, and I'll say hi to everybody in the chat room at macgeekab.com/slash/stream with us this morning. If you're editing the show notes, we appreciate that. Synology and Time Machine and quotas. And there it is. Now it's in the show notes. Now you know how the sausage is made. All right, John, take us on to, if we're done with that one, take us on to Paul, please. So Paul writes in, I was hoping to find an answer to what I thought was a relatively simple question, but I'm afraid I've had no luck, so I thought I'd see if you could help. I'm looking to get an audible alarm when my battery on my MacBook Pro Retina hits, say, 10%. Say, say 10%. 10%. For the health of the battery, I don't like to keep it plugged in all the time. I actually use the Fruit Juice app to monitor usage and battery health. And quite often, my Mac might be performing a task when I'm not in front of it. I'd like to be able to have it warn me audibly when the power is low so I can plug it back in. I don't, however, seem to be able to find a small utility that could do this for me. 
I thought I'd email and see if you knew of one. I've seen forms that get into shell scripts and terminal commands, but I thought there must be a more straightforward way. Uh, P.S. An audible alarm would be great, but if it could be an email, that would be even better. Well, you know what, Dave? Paul answered his own question. I love it when that happens. <laughs> and so I wrote back to Paul. Uh, Paul, you answered your own question. There was a bug in earlier versions of Fruit Juice where it would not play a notification sound, but this has since been fixed. And what you can do is if you look in Fruit Juice under the notification category, uh, it has a number of uh, different options here. One of them is if on battery power, when the amount of remaining charge drops below and then a percentage, which you can specify, and you could specify 10% if you'd like or higher, and then you could have it repeat notifications if you like. So fruit juice is the answer. Now, it's funny because actually, um, you know, I'm running it. And actually, at one point, uh, I didn't want this feature. So I would have it generate notifications. And all of a sudden, I noticed my machine was making noise. And I'm like, the heck is going on here? Why is it making this noise? And I noticed it, it, it chimed. <laughs> it oddly coincided with it putting the notifications up in my uh, upper right hand corner of my screen. And I actually uh, wrote to them. Um, is it Jeff? Is Jeff, Jeff, everybody there that writes that? No, yeah, Jeff Lynch. Yep. Yep. And I actually wrote him and I'm like, how do I, how do I make it not make this noise? I don't want it. Now I was expecting it to be in the app, Dave, but actually he, he told me where I should have gone. And that's in notifications. So if you go to notifications and then you'll see a whole bunch of applications, including fruit juice, and you can then choose uh, well, there's a checkbox that says play sound for notifications. And so I unchecked that because I don't want that. But Paul does. So he already has the solution. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I love fruit juice. And uh, I I hope I'm not. I'll, I'll leave it out. He's got a cool feature coming that he's actually working with Katie Floyd on it. I'll, I'll let I'll let them. I, I don't want to steal their thunder on, on that. So oh. just keep keep an eye on some cool things that that they're uh, that that they're coming out with. It's a it's a brilliant idea. <laughs> now, it would right. be nice, actually. You know, I do like Paul's suggestion. It would be interesting if, if they did add an email feature that could be handy or an SMS feature or something like that. They used to. Yeah, they used to have in, a, in the huh. old version. Yeah, but that was the old version was very, very different. But, you know, I wonder. Well, see, that's the thing. So if there if let's say there was a way to link it with, say, you know, uh, if this, then that, then you could have it do just about anything, um, including if there was a way to. Well, I'll leave it at that. There's cool things that can be done. So we'll, we'll talk about it when it comes out. We'll tease it. Sorry. Let's move on. Uh, Grant has uh, an excellent question. Grant asks, he says, uh, I'm wondering if rebuilding launch services database is one of those rubber chicken maintenance things we can all try if things go sour. Adam Curry of No Agenda and everything else that he's done, Mevio and Pacho and all that, uh, felt like he'd been given a brand new Snow Leopard Mac Mini when it had turned to sludge. Onyx is supposed to do it for Mavericks, but I wonder if any solution that doesn't require a restart is doing the full job. Uh, launch services seems to get mentioned when file launches uh, the wrong app when when files launch the wrong application. 
but there might be some other benefits based on Adam's experience. Any thoughts about resetting launch services as general maintenance and then using something like Onyx uh, compared to the terminal? So in in general, I would say, yeah, uh, rebuilding launch services is one of those things that I tend to do once every six months or so, I think is, um, is, is, you know, it's a good thing now. Um, and I want to talk more about Onyx, uh, but the first thing I want to say is to, in answer to Grant's question about Onyx versus doing it in Onyx versus the terminal Onyx, like pretty much everything else in OS 10, especially your settings panels, even in system preferences, Onyx is simply a graphical front end to run or change things that you could otherwise do from the terminal. Typically what you are running in Onyx is no different than what you could run from the terminal. So, uh, so I would have no hesitation whatsoever to use Onyx to, um, to, to do launch services as opposed to doing it from the terminal. There's just no reason to, uh, unless you like typing commands. I use, I live in the terminal all the time. I always have a terminal window open on my Mac. Uh, I've been a Unix guy for years and years and years. But there are some and there are some things that are, you know, muscle memory in my fingers and those I'll do from the terminal because it's right there and it's always up. But if something like for launch services that I don't do often, I couldn't even off the top of my head begin to tell you what that command looks like, let alone the exact incantation. So uh, so for that, I use Onyx and it, you know, it works great. I, I love Onyx. Right, John? Yeah, and it actually uh, solved, uh, maybe it's worth mentioning now, it you is. actually yeah. suggested it to solve another problem someone had. I don't I don't have it right in front of me, but I'll summarize it very quickly. Yeah, go. Yeah. So uh, we had someone write in and said, um, the Parallels guy, so I guess he was having some issues with Parallels, and he's like, and they suggested that I reset my Ackles. And he was like, how do I do this? And, and home because, permissions, too. Yeah, which are one right. and the same-ish. And so I answered his question. Now, here's the problem. So he would go to recovery, then go to the terminal. And what you do is you can run a, a command uh, called a reset password, I believe it is, mm-hmm. uh, all spelled out. And then what you should get is a display of your disks and then the user, um, uh, which you'd like to reset. He wasn't seeing that. Why not, you ask? Well, I'll tell you, because he had a file vault encrypted volume. Right. And if you launch in a recovery, it does not mount your uh, encrypted volume. So what you have to do before you run this, and this worked, it was the right answer, uh, is that you have to go into disutility once you're in recovery, and then you will see your disk. It'll be grayed out, and then you highlight it. You say unlock. It will then ask for your file vault password. At that point, then he could see that, but then you made a... Even better suggestion, Dave. So even though that was the right answer, there's a better way to do it because my caution to him, and I actually trashed my system once because I believe what happened is I uh, fixed the uh, permissions or the ACLs um, for the wrong user, not me, but another uh, yeah. user. And that that's, uh, at least in my experience, that screws everything up. So I warned him about that. But that's not an issue if you use Onyx, Dave. Well, that's the thing is, you, you know, it... it, it why go through that whole process of rebooting and, and all that stuff when you can just launch Onyx and reset your system permissions right there? I mean, it's literally right inside Onyx is reset. You get you go to I think it's the maintenance tab 
and you can uh, check a box that says reset home permissions and ACLs. And uh, and it works great. It used to it did not used to be an Onyx. This is relatively new sometime mm-hmm. in the last year. There was that utility that no longer exists called Yasu, Y-A-S-U from Jim Mitchell. But he stopped developing that when Mavericks came out uh, and, and you cannot download it from him anymore, which is good because it's not compatible with Mavericks. But um, but Onyx added that one feature. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just done. In fact, I did it when I uh, answered that question for uh, that you were talking about the other day, John, when I chimed in on that, I thought, you know, I should do this. And I just did it while I was actually prepping this very show and it didn't even slow my machine down. So, yeah, it's good. Uh, it's good. I, it, yeah. yeah. Onyx is one of those things. It makes life so much easier. You, you know, if you need to rebuild your spotlight database or your mail envelope index or all this stuff. And again, you, you can easily go on the web and find the simple, you know, one line terminal commands that you can paste in to do all this stuff. That's not that, that's great. But why bother when you have Onyx? Just make sure you're running the latest version of Onyx, because really what Onyx does is it they, they go and they collect all the right terminal commands and they put them in the app and then give you a button to push. And then it executes that command on your behalf. So just make sure you're up to date with Onyx and uh, and then you're good to go. It, it really I I, um, I love it. Now I want to run it on this machine here, but that would be really, really foolish uh, to do while we're doing a show yeah now one reason you may want to rebuild launch services and i've noticed this dave is uh if you go and try to open a document if you right click and you say open with you'll know that your launch services is horked if you start seeing the same application appear multiple times we'll give a hat tip to furby's in the chat room for that one he he uh he mentioned that as well while we were talking oh, he did. about this oh, yeah that. yep <laughs> no it, that 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 is the 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 that's a key thing to 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 know that launch services needs to be redone. Yeah. But you can run all your monthly maintenance scripts. You can run, uh, clean all your caches and all of that stuff with Onyx. It's a, it's a great utility and it's free. You know, we, we, it, there's no reason not to, uh, run it, uh, not to keep it on your Mac. It's a little weird. I will agree when you start it up, it's a little weird the way that it works. And, um, I don't know. It it wants to do all kinds. It wants to check your drive smart status. Every time you launch it, it then wants to scan your drive for errors every time you launch it. And that's great. But you know, it gets, that gets a little obsessive to me sometimes. Um, Especially if all I want to do is say, go in and and reset my permissions. So, so, um, you know, I, I don't tend to, uh, now we did that. have, now there's another question. Onyx figured into this as well. Again, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I'm pretty sure I remember the, the gist of the question. And someone got back to me and said, yes, you, you figured out what was going on here. Is that they were losing, uh, I think they were using Evernote and they were losing a login or, or some some data. It kept, the, the, the Safari, I, I believe, kept asking for this data. Um, and at first I was like, I don't know. But then he was like, oh, well, you know, I actually run Onyx frequently. And so I actually took a shot in the dark and actually got it right. <laughs> but I'm like, you know what? You may be clearing out a web cache. And that is in turn clearing out this login data that you keep having to type in again. And yeah, it was for me and said Evernote cache or something. That's right. 
Yeah. So you right. do have to be careful when you're cleaning caches. There is that one option in Onyx. I'll, I'll pull it up here um, if I can pull it up quickly. But uh, where it, it, it there is like Safari usernames and passwords, you, you need to you need to run that the cleaning part of it. You need to run intelligently in that you don't just want to run it blind, not intelligently, but you, you want to run it with with awareness. You want to read each of the options and decide, hey, does this actually sound like uh, a good idea or should I not clean this part out? So I actually just, just installed the latest version of uh, Onyx for mountain lion on this machine. And, uh, and I'm launching it now. I will share while this launches that Furby's indicated in the, again, in the chat room that in Onyx, you can choose in the preferences not to have it do the smart and hard drive checks every time you launch. So that is actually Pretty cool. Come on around, Onyx. Let's go. It doesn't want to launch. Maybe it does. There it is. Now it's asking me for my password. Okay. And I don't, I can agree to the deal and I need to ignore the smart check because I didn't set that in my preferences yet. But if you go into cleaning, um, you do not want, which is the one, if you go to your internet options, so Onyx cleaning internet, um, you don't necessarily want to blow away your cookies. Um, that would be, that would be the main one. I think that's part of it because that will, uh, that will blow away your logins on, on many, many websites. They, they store kind of a matching cookie for you to, to keep you logged in. So take a look at it. It's fun stuff. And I'm, I'm going to the preferences right now, John, and, uh, and setting that. Every time I start, I can't find where it is. Check the smart. It's in advanced. Onyx preferences advanced. You can set the uh, structure and smart checks to either ask you happen automatically or don't check at all. So I'm turning those off. Excellent. I do have to say, John, before the show, you advised me on a uh, a piece of software that I'm sure everybody's going to find controversial. It's called Memory Keeper, and it's from the Zeobit folks. Um, the goal of this software, when you when it runs, is that it's going to keep your Mac um, from from having too little free memory. It's going to kind of aggressively purge things from RAM and keep free memory open. And uh, launching Onyx there without having memory keeper running in the past would definitely have caused some show stutters and hiccups and all that stuff. Cause that's just how this, this is on this machine. It would have gotten too much Ram and it started using too much Ram and all that. And we didn't have any of that. And this is being, uh, it's doing its job. It's being very aggressive about it. It was free from the Mac app store. So uh, for now, for now, yes, right. I've been running it for a total of 30 minutes. That's right. Yeah. But my experience is that at least on my Mavericks machine, it made matters worse and that I ended up having less free. Memory. Well, Mavericks, <laughs> let's talk about. Well, Ma what? Mavericks hey. is broken to begin with as far as the memory management. I, I had a wedge as, as you sent out. Uh, I, I had it wedge on me. This happens regularly. It'll just yeah. the clock will stop. I get the spinning beach ball eventually. And it's just like for a minute, it's out to lunch. I have lost control. And then it comes back like nothing yep. happened. I, I told know. you I wrote you, you, Apple about this, noticing that things were not running right in memory management because memory management is different under Mavericks, right? The whole compressed memory thing and all of that is is very intentionally different 
and they're attempting to do some really smart stuff and probably are doing some really smart stuff. I think in some ways, though, they've outsmarted themselves over there because I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm having the same problems you do and I'm doing nothing other than running Mavericks. I'm not doing anything different than I was doing when I was running Mountain Lion and not having these problems. I have the same computer, same CPU and same amount of RAM. So I just don't grok why it, I mean, it's just, it, it's the same thing we went through with lion and mountain lion and leopard and snow leopard, right? There's going to be Mavericks and uh, mountain Mavericks or crashing Mavericks. No, wait, uh, what's it going to be? I don't know. They're waves, right? My Mavericks freeze. They don't crash. They freeze, which is weird because waves don't freeze typically. But anyway, Whatever the next one is, I, I, I feel better about. And probably we'll do the same thing. My, my podcast machine never had Lion on it, other than for about four days when it was prepping for Mountain Lion, because uh, we knew that was out. But, um, and I don't know that I will ever put Mavericks on this machine, though I may be tempted to because there's new drivers for our audio interface that um, are only Mavericks compatible. So I want to talk about our first sponsor for this show, John. And that is Smile at smilesoftware.com. What uh, we have the privilege of talking about today is the whole PDF pen family. You know, these folks have developed and acquired and, and baked in as part of the PDF pen family management and syncing and editing of PDFs, no matter where you are, as long as you have some kind of device with you, you know, started on the Mac with PDF pen and PDF pen pro, which allow you to edit PDFs. Uh, you can edit the text in them. You can rearrange them. You can with PDF pen pro create your own forms so that other people can fill out your PDFs. Uh, and that that's kind of where it started. You can add your own signatures to them. And then, came the iOS versions and, uh, and now with PDF pen on I, the iPhone and the iPad, you can do all of those same things. You can, you can add your signatures. I did it. In fact, I was, uh, we're bringing on a new podcast into the backbeat media family. We brought in, uh, let's talk iOS from the, I download blog guys. And, uh, and I had gotten the contract back from them while I was flying back from where was I recently? Uh, why was I in Chicago? I was somewhere. What was that? When, 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 Oh, for CES and, and new media expo. And, uh, and I was in some airport I was in Cleveland and, uh, waiting for my, you know, to board my next plane. And I saw the contract come back, you know, half signed by them. And I thought, great. And I read through it and made sure it was good. And then I opened it up in a PDF pen on my iPhone and added my signature. And what was cool is I had put my signature into PDF pen on my Mac into the little library that they have there. And because I turned on iCloud syncing with it, that signature was synced to my iPhone and I was able to grab it and put it on the document. And then I added the date and you know, typed my name and uh, exported it as a PDF and emailed it off and good to go. And I literally did this standing waiting for at the gate. I mean, it was a totally smooth process. So, um, so, you know, very, very cool. And then Smile has added to the family recently PDF Pen Scan Plus, which allows you to scan a document with your iPhone's camera and turn it into a PDF. And you can 
use optical character recognition to not only convert the text in the picture in the scan down to um, down to, you know, editable text, but it also shrinks down the file size quite a bit uh, in the process because you're taking a picture and turning it into text. So check it all out. Smilesoftware.com uh, slash PDF pen is, is a good place to start. Of course, the iOS apps are available in the app store. Mac apps are available um, in the app store or from smiles website. And you can download free trials there too. So, uh, so check it out. Smilesoftware.com. And uh, we certainly appreciate their longtime sponsorship of this show. I encourage you to check them out as well. It's fun stuff. Why? What are you waiting for? If you don't already have at least one flavor of PDF pen, ask yourself this question. I'm asking you. You don't even have to ask yourself. I'll do it for you. What are you waiting for? We'll leave it at that. John, in uh, in show 485, uh, we talked about in, in the last show uh, we had Jim Tannis on, of course, and we talked about all kinds of things. I ordered one of those uh, DVD Blu-rays, uh, the, the Blu-ray uh, reader for my Mac, the $40 one that, that we came up with during the show at one of our, our chat room people. So I'm curious to, to check that out. And I ordered uh, Amazon had this week had the entire Godfather um, collection on Blu-ray for 16 bucks. So for uh, 56 bucks, I have a nice little experiment to play with this coming week and, and rip some Blu-rays and, and have some fun with that. But the other thing that we talked about was Louis's issue where he had a router in bridge mode and couldn't access it. He'd put it in bridge mode, but he didn't know the IP. And we went through a series of steps of how to scan and find what the IP of the router is. But, um, but after the show, it hit me that none of those would work. And uh, so we got back in touch with Louis and sure enough, uh, the issue Louis, in fact, we got back Louis got back in touch with us and he said, I can't find it via these methods. And I thought, yeah. And he showed me his, his scan report using that, that little app that we had mentioned. And he said, it's gotta be this thing. And I looked up by the manufacturer of the Mac address, which you can do online. Uh, and, uh, and it was not the trend net router that he was looking for. And then it hit me, John, your initial, you know, he was his um, his network is in the one nine two dot one six eight dot two dot X range. That's what he has chosen to use. OK, mm-hmm. um, your first piece of advice was you searched about the TrendNet router and found that its default address is one nine two dot one six eight dot ten dot one. And it hit me. There's absolutely no reason that the router couldn't be on that default address still. Yes. 192.168.10.1 is on a different subnet than what would standard uh, be used for, you know, 192.168.2.x. But a router in bridge mode just lets everything that connects to it see everything else. It does not need to be managed by IP address. So uh, it was entirely possible and in fact turned out to be correct that his TrendNet router was still set to that original uh, IP. Now it's, he went and the way he found that was he connected to the router wirelessly. He set his max IP manually to 192.168.10.2 or something other than dot one, and then was able to connect to his trend net router by putting, you know, 192.168.10.1 in his, 
in his web browser. And then he changed the IP of that router to be on the dot two network so that he could access it while still accessing everything else in default mode. Uh, and I would recommend doing that, that that's the way to do this, especially now, if you, if say that TrendNet router were an Apple time capsule that you had in bridge mode, you would definitely want it to be on the, you know, have an IP address that's the, in the same range as all the rest of your computers, because you want them to be able to back up to it and need to be able to, to access that device. Uh, and yes, you could mess with the subnet mask and get all this done a different way. And, uh, and perhaps that would solve it just the same, but, um, but this, this works. So I thought that was pretty interesting, John told you. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's well, that's got, one of the best of, one liners you've had. Well, it kind of explains why, for example, you know, if, if people don't know this, but there's also something fun to try out here is, um, uh, 192.168.100.1 is that the Doxis address? That's the Doxis cable modem address. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So typically you can. Uh, but that's not connected to your local subnet. Typically, that's right, that's right. right. That's separated by a NAT bridge in your router, so that your router can take the one IP you get from the cable modem and share it amongst all of your computers. Yeah. Yeah, I find it interesting when I when I have a. When I think I have issues with my uh, provider to check that page out and see if all the power levels are. are oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I obsess about that sometimes. Yeah, it's fun. It's good. Um, so uh, but we did have some uh, some interesting uh, follow ups, including one from Mike, who says uh, I was listening to episode 485 for the bridged router thing. The box of the device should have the Mac address printed on it. He says, I use a program called Fing that gives you IP addresses and Mac addresses. So look up the Mac there and there's your IP. So if you're trying to figure out what is the IP address of this device I'm holding in my hand, flip it over, find the little label on it. And he's right. It will have the, the Mac MAC address. Uh, media access control, John, is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. And um, so uh, so it, it and then and then you run Fing. Uh, which is a great little utility. And I believe there is a thing for iOS as well as the Mac. Uh, well, I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I, I run thing uh, mostly on my iOS device. Hey, I look, like, at the, um, look at that. When we, when we go to the thing page, the first uh, quote there is uh, about Mac Geekab. We like that. Wow. We've mentioned it before. Yeah. I like running it when I'm on public Wi-Fi to see who else is on it. And then you can, uh, um, well, you could, not that you should, but one option, <laughs> one thing it lets you do is scan what services uh, the machine that's connected uh, is making available to other people. And you can also do wake on land. That's kind of interesting, too. And then I think they have an advanced feature, log feature, though, that you have to, uh, I think, you got to pony up for other products. Right. Yeah. So overlooksoft.com slash thing will get you both iOS and, and you can, there's Android versions. In fact, I'm sure the Android version is way more powerful than the Mac than the iOS version rather because uh you can run stuff on Android that makes it work well. Hey, I I, I know we're we're gonna go into uh, a different thing, John, but I I had another follow-up that is going to open up a can of worms, but I had to share it. I'm not gonna source this yet, and this is why I haven't published an article about this, but uh but I I I'm I just not sure if I can I could tell I can use the name of the person who gave it 
this information to me. But trust me when I say that this person is uh, one of the most one of the most knowledgeable people about Wi-Fi and routers that I know. And uh, the information, you know, we were talking about channels one, six and eleven. Right. And and we've had this conversation about how sometimes, you know, I said in the show, if, you know, your neighbor was on eight, you could use two and that would work fine. And uh, the advice was that's actually the best mode. And here's why in the U.S. Um, channel or we have a channel range that runs from one to eleven. And uh, I'm actually going to pull up the notes that I have on this here. If I can get my computer. Oh, there it goes. Now it's locked up, John. See? <sighs> uh, yep. So maybe this, uh, this, cool, uh, this cool thing I'm using to, to manage memory is, is right. I want to get the frequencies right on this uh, to help explain what it is that we got going on here. Okay. So um, we have channels one through 11, which means that the, the, and, and if you look at those channel frequencies, that goes from uh, 20, 2,412 megahertz to 2,462 megahertz. But the actual FCC band is from 2,400 megahertz to 2,483 megahertz. And the maximum uh, that the FCC allows to broadcast for us equipment, of course, because that's what the FCC regulates is one watt, uh, out of an omnidirectional antenna. So a thousand milliwatts, one watt power is allowed in the 2400 to 2483 band. However, as Wi-Fi channels are wide currently, like the new, you know, high powered routers use these wide channels to, to get more, um, bandwidth, uh, the power bleeds off into the high 2300s and past 2483 because you can't broadcast past that. Um, and so there are different power output levels allowed for the out of spec frequencies for the ones that go sort of on the, the, you know, on the low side of channel one and the high side of channel 11. Uh, and at the end of the day, what you end up with uh, is it being very challenging to output one watt for a full band wide channel one and a full band wide channel 11. So many manufacturers have to purposely limit the maximum power on the edge channels. Those being one and 11 to stay within the spec of the FCC. Um, so what it, it obviously gets very complicated, but what that means is on sort of the super highest power routers that exist channels, one and 11 will actually be less and uh, so so the advice is depending on whether you prefer absolute interference free connections or maximum range, you can decide where to set your channels appropriately. Best case is that your neighbors are all on one and 11 and you can use, uh, you know, channel six and you're good to go. Um, but since most devices don't have maximum power on one and 11, if you have to choose one, six or 11 and or sorry, if you have to choose one or 11, uh, the advice is choose two or 10 to get uh, to get maximum uh, maximum range there out of the uh, out of the device, which is really interesting, a little bit mind blowing, but it makes total sense because one and 11 aren't as powerful as two and 10 are on the super high powered routers, which is kind of the high end stuff. If you're buying, you know, sort of middle of the road routers, it won't matter. But um, I thought that was pretty interesting, John. I thought I'd share that with you. 
kind of blew my mind when I read it. And I immediately went and changed my one and 11 routers to two and 10 because range is more important than throughput and interference freeness. Gonna have the juice, man. Mm-hmm. You got to have the juice because I've got all super high powered. You know, I use those, those Buffalo things, the, the high end ones. And so I'm sure I'm impacted by the fact I got to ask the people at Buffalo if, if I am, but for now I'm two, I'm two, six and 10 baby. All right. All right. So, uh, so that's that. And that, yeah, this is all for 2.4 gigahertz. Five gigahertz um, is, is different because they, they built the channel ranges to be more intelligent. So I believe in five gigahertz, you get full power on any channel that you choose. So fun, right? Uh, perhaps. I know. That's what I like about this stuff. It's good having geeky listeners. That's what we do. In fact, we try to, our goal is to take you and make you even geekier um, in a good way, you know, because that's, that's what we do. We, and, I, and it makes us geekier in the process. I didn't know this until this week. It's good. All right. You're going to take us into uh, you. Oh, so John, boy. you ran into an issue that one of our listeners was running into with regards to mail processing. And I think that was in right. show 485, right? We talked about mail just, we had that that uh, I believe it was a woman who wrote in and said that Nicole wrote in. There it is. Yeah. So yeah. listener Nicole wrote in and said, you know, something weird is happening is my mail rules seem to be running. And the machine's asleep. How could this possibly be? And we offered a few suggestions, uh, maybe power nap. Though she said, no, my machine's not capable of that because I believe that's only that's only uh, available in machines uh, 2010 and, and after. Uh, we were thinking maybe it's a, you know, mysterious Mavericks, uh, you know, hidden feature or something. And so we kind of, we didn't get it. You know, we offered some good suggestions and then Dave, so I was out and about. So, uh, you know, I usually leave my machines asleep. So, uh, both my Mac mini and my MacBook pro were asleep at home and I was out, uh, getting a, a service to my car. And I was looking at my email while waiting, and uh, I noticed some uh, messages came into my inbox. And uh, they came into my inbox, and I have a mail rule that files them away. And so I saw them in my inbox, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, when I, when I get home, it'll, it'll file right. them away in the folder that I want. Sure. And then I looked a little later, Dave, and they disappeared. What? So now I thought, oh, man, is somebody hacking my system or in my e? Because Yahoo just had a, you know, some sort of compromise with uh, their email database. If you haven't heard about that, right, still trying to yeah. get the details on it. They, uh, yeah, they claim that a uh, third-party data. That it wasn't their system was hacked. It was another system that had their uh, username and password database. Yep. I, I don't know. Yep. So change your password if you got a Yahoo email. Um, but anyways, I saw the same thing happen, and I'm like, okay, they disappeared. Now what happened to them? So I looked. And they got filed away in the folder that I would have had it filed away in if, if mail was running. And I'm like, how could this be? How do it has, know? Has someone broken into my house and, you know, is on my computer running my mail rules? No. So as soon as I got home. So now I, w- I was kind of wondering about it. And then later in the day, something else happened that made me think, OK, something weird is going on here. Is that my machine was asleep again. Um. And all of a sudden, I heard the DVD drive cycle. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. That's not supposed to happen. 
That will only happen if the machine is waking up. What is making this machine wake up? So I dug into the console and I found. Now, the thing is that often in the console, it will tell you the reason that the machine woke up. And I saw it. I saw the kernel say, wake reason, RTC, parentheses, alarm. Like, hmm, that's kind of weird. So I didn't know initially what that meant. I mean, RTC is real-time clock. So, so somebody set an alarm at the kernel level to wake the machine up to do something. I'm like, what? I've never heard of this. This is crazy. But then I did a little more digging, Dave, and here's what I found. I found out about this feature that I think we've, we've touched on in the past. But what, once I did a bit of, of surfing and found people suggesting this was it, I determined, yes, this is, in fact, what is happening. And it's called Wake on Demand and Bonjour Sleep Proxy. And basically what this is, is it's a feature where the machine uh, will maintain, uh, make available certain services by registering with, uh, it's a feature where if you have either an airport base station, I think a time capsule or an Apple TV, they have this feature. And what it does, it, ma- it can make certain things available. One thing that it does is it, can, it will maintain uh, network connections for your drives. And as it turns out, what, what it, let, me, let me see if I can explain it better. Um, if you've got a Mac that's sharing uh, its drive or its printer or its screen, Right. For for sharing purposes. That, and that Mac is awake. Those services show up. You know, it shows up in the shared section of the finder and you can choose it and attach to it. But what Apple did is they created this Bonjour sleep proxy thing that. Allows that computer to shut to go to sleep. And yet one of the other devices on the network, as you said, John, you know, one of your Apple routers or, or an Apple TV, which I didn't realize until you found this article, John. But um, but, it, you know, those will masquerade as whatever computer uh, offers the service. And then when you request it, you're actually requesting it from the one of your routers. And then it goes and wakes up. It, this happens all behind the scenes. It's brilliant. It allows your computer to sleep while still appearing like an awake and active network citizen. So there you go. That, that's what that's what it does. I, it's brilliant technology. I love it when Apple. And in this case, because my machine had a network drive mounted, which I normally don't do, but you know what? As of I think I figured out what is actually causing this, Dave. It was at what what the network connection was actually my sugar sink drive. In in a recent update, they actually created a mountable drive, and I think that's what is setting is activating this service. Is that one of the features? Is that every now and then this uh. Uh, wake on demand feature will say, Oh, I better uh, renew this network connection that you have established. Right. And so wakes the machine up. And so a side effect was because I had mail running on this machine while it was waking up, reestablishing or refreshing this connection, mail ran and, and filed away my, my messages here. So I believe that is what was it. And some of the other things they mentioned in the article here, it's, it's actually very interesting. Uh, and it makes a lot of services, not just network. In my case, it was refreshing a network connection, but it can make all sorts of other things available. Um, and you can go through the article and see this. So that I'm convinced is what was happening in both cases. Dave. So your Mac was sharing a resource or it was attached to a shared resource. 
Well, it was attached to a, a, a network share. Okay, so I'm not, see, I'm not convinced that's Bonjour Sleep Proxy. I think that's, I need to maintain my connection to this network share, which, I mean, which obviously causes this issue for you, but I'm not convinced that Bonjour Sleep Proxy would cause this issue. I think it's if you're connected well, to a network. Well, I believe it was for a couple of other reasons. So okay. one thing, they mentioned this here, is that I did have Wake on Network Access checked. Yeah, I'm still not convinced. I mean, I mean you may be right, but I've never. It happened. Uh, yeah, no, I know that it happened. But the the question <laughs> is why, right? Why is this RTC clock thing coming? And is it happening? Be, see, Bonjour Sleep Proxy is only for services that you that that machine is sharing outward. Uh, it has nothing to do with with connections coming inbound. So I don't think wake for network access was your issue, but you should test it by, by replicating all the rest of the parameters and turning off wake for network access. I think it's still going to happen because you're connected outbound to this network drive. And it is waking up to maintain that connection for you. Right. And I have the other features enabled. So, so right. further in the article, it says, Oh, by the way, if you do want to have this feature, Enabled, you go to System Preferences, Energy Saver, and and see Wake for Network Access if that's. But that's what on. I'm saying. You could turn that off, and I think this. I think you would still see the machine waking up periodically, mm-hmm. because that that think, Wake for Network Access is only for inbound connections. It's not for outbound stuff. Yeah. Well, something else could have been doing it. Yeah. No. I think it's. I think it's because you were attached to the shared folder. Right. Yeah. But that has, again, that has nothing to do with Bonjour Sleep Proxy or Wake for Network Access. That's just its own thing. But, but, but I mean, but still causing it to wake up. But I'd be curious if you turn off Wake for Network Access, I bet it'll still happen. As long as you're connected outbound to that, that share, I believe. Well, we'll see. Test it. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know. This is good. I love geeky stuff like this. You found that, that article. Um, I had no idea. I knew that all the um, airport express, sorry, airport, uh, any airport base station uh, and time capsule would act as a Bonjour sleep proxy. But I had no idea that the Apple TV second generation or later would do that. Um, But your article confirms that it will. And that's brilliant. So that means you don't. I always felt like I would have to run. I've kept I love Bonjour Sleep Proxy. I love being able to have my machine sleep, but wake them up for, you know, screen sharing or whatever. But uh, I've always kept, you know, I, I use a time capsule, but the, the time will come when that dies and I won't replace it because um, I've got other network drives that I can I can do that with. But I always thought, well, I've got to always have something on the network from Apple or some Apple router to provide this service for me. But now that I know that the. Uh, Apple TV will do it. Then now I don't have to worry about it. But you found a cool utility, John, to to look that up, to see if you have a device on your network that has that. Well, actually, I believe someone had posted this. I'm not sure if it was Facebook or Google Plus, but uh, I didn't find this. Someone else mentioned it. Okay. It's a, uh, it's a utility called Flame, available for both uh, uh, Mac and uh, iOS, and I downloaded the iOS version. And one thing it'll let you do, Dave, is see all your, it, it's basically a Bonjour uh, browser. And it'll basically let you see all your Bonjour devices. And the interesting thing is that, for example, when I ran it and had it look at my uh, time machine or time capsule, yep, it said, oh, well, yeah, one of the services available is this uh, 
you know, Bonjour proxy. I'm like, oh, pretty interesting. So it's a it's a nice Bonjour browser because at first I'm like, where are you seeing this in airport utility? I can't find this screen. Right. It's like that's because it's not airport utility. It's right. this other one. Right. So so it's a good way for you to learn about a. Uh, what bonjour services are on your uh, network. It's pretty cool. Yeah. You, when you run this and I just installed the app just as we were prepping the show today, John, but it, it, it shows you either all of your bonjour citizens, uh, the, you know, the various devices, your iPhones and your Macs and your routers. And then also uh, you can sort by services. And so if you want to look up, for example, what devices you have uh, advertising bonjour sleep proxy, you pull it up and mine says two instances and it shows my time capsule and my living room Apple TV, which is awesome. Very stoked about that. I could. Oh, I'm going to. This is great. OK, we got to do the show, though. I can't. I can't. Uh, I, I can't get uh, all crazy about that right now, but I will put flame in the show notes because it's cool. And it's just an iOS app or is there. You said there's a Mac app, too, John. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got a link to it. Sweet. Uh, and that is uh, thanks to Graham on our Facebook page that posted that. All right, where are we go? Where are we on time here? Uh, yeah, we will let. Ah, uh, you know, we'll play Andy's comment quickly here because I think it clarifies a uh, a thing that we were talking about with regards to decibels in Show Four Eighty Five and and the wireless stuff. Hi guys, it's Andy, the sound engineer from UNH, and uh, I just wanted to clarify a little bit something Dave said about decibels, talking about um, the beam steering uh, in new routers, uh, which is that you said that um, essentially it's three a three dB increase is twice the signal. Um, unless you're talking about using your ears, in which case it's 10 dB. And that's kind of right and kind of not right. So if you're, if you're measuring power, if what we're talking about is actual power, then a 3 dB increase doubles the power every time, whether we're talking about audio or radio frequency like Wi-Fi or anything else we wanted to measure in dB, a 3 dB increase is doubling the power. However, our ears do not perceive a 3 dB increase as being twice as loud. And in fact, depending on the person and the situation, what we will perceive as being twice as loud can actually vary. But most people use 10 dB as a pretty good rule of thumb for what we will perceive as twice as loud. But understand that that's all based on studies that were done using single sine wave tones, which is not um, exactly anything like what we listen to in the real world. Um, but based on single sine wave tones, typically we hear a 3dB change, which is a doubling of power, as a small change, perceptible but small. A 6dB change is sort of a significant change. And a 10dB, if it's 10dB louder, then we're going to perceive that as more or less double. Um, 
And that's kind of as precise as I'm ever comfortable getting. Thanks, Andy. That's that's awesome. That that clarified it for me. I I always knew 3DB was double, uh, but clearly, like when I'm running sound and, and mixing a uh, monitor mix for the guys and somebody says they want a little bit more, if I give them... I, Prior to this, I would always give them 3dB and then argue with them and say, I just made it twice as loud, but it's it's not. So my guess is when Andy does sound for us, which he has from time to time with the band, uh, that he would, if I asked for more, he'd probably give me 6dB. Or maybe he knows me and now knows that, you know, four and a half is what it takes to make me happy. I don't know. I use in-ear monitors anyway when we play live, which is uh, way, way better. Except at the Mac 30th show, John. We, we used monitor wedges because it was a quick little put together thing. Where were we here? You're going to take us to George. Thanks, Andy. I think I'll take you to George. I'm not take- sure if I answer the question, but we, we can toss this one right okay. here. Yeah. So George writes in and says, I've been having sleep problems. No, not sleep problems with him. As far as I can tell, but I've been having not. sleep problems with my mid 2007 MacBook pro running Mavericks. I think that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, sometimes when the Mac goes to sleep, it would try to sleep, but the fans would run at full speed. The lights would stay on, but the screen is black and the laptop is unresponsive. The only way to bring it back to life was to hold down the power key until it shut down and reboot. These problems started late last summer around the time the new iTunes came out. At first, it happened only once every week. By December, it was doing it just about every day. Looking on Google, I found several links to what this described as a long-term OS bug. Even though my sleep trouble started relatively recently, I tried the suggested solution of resetting the SMC and the PRAM with no relief, thinking that it might be related to buggy software. Uh, since he has, uh, says he has a lot of troubles with iTunes, I started shutting down the programs I normally run continuously, mail, iTunes, Safari, one by one to see if one of those may be the problem. No luck. Finally, I set the energy saver preference to never sleep when the laptop is on uh, AC power. No problems for the last month, so I assume the problem is sleep-related. I wonder if an old PRAM battery could cause these symptoms. The laptop is certainly old enough to need a replacement. Do you know of a source for a new PRAM battery? Most of the sites I found for the Mac list only used ones. iFixit.com shows a CR2025 battery that looks like the one Radio Shack lists for an IBM. Please let me know your thoughts on this issue. So here are my thoughts, Dave. Uh, from what I've seen, power and fan issues, um, I tend to relate that more to an SMC problem rather than the PRAM, but not being able to find a list of exactly what the PRAM uh, data is maintained in the PRAM, it, it's certainly possible, and he certainly could be uh, at the point where that, that battery is dead. Um one sure way to tell if that is the problem or if that battery is dead, uh, because I had to replace mine a while back. I have a similar vintage machine. Um, and of course they put this battery in the stupidest place. It's under the optical drive. Of course. Bear to get it. It's really bare to get at. Um, but the way you can tell if that battery is not working right is that if you're on battery power and then you shut everything down and then you start up, you've uh, you lose your time and date. That is one piece of data that I know is stored in the PRAM. Except so, you gotta you gotta take yourself off your network because your Mac yeah, will sync yeah, up that bef- too. before you can notice that before you see what the time is, the Mac has synced up with the network time server on the network and and gotten you up yeah. in business. Yeah. 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 So I mentioned that to him. So if he if he determines that it is the PRAM battery, um 
Now, the thing is, I looked, Dave, and I saw this here, and, and I got to say, honestly, I think this is a, a, a well, I, I called it a huge ripoff. <laughs> a CR2025 battery you can get for like a dollar. Yeah, that sounds about right. Maybe maybe two at Radio Shack kind of thing. Now, the thing is, the, the one in the Mac is, it is a CR2025 battery, but what it also has is a uh, a connector which plugs into the oh, computer. Okay. And there's also a insulating wrap around it. So what's the ripoff? Well, I fix it charges 40 bucks for that. But did, does theirs have, have they soldered the, um, the connector onto it? Yes. Okay. All right. So you're, you're paying for their time to take your $2 battery and turn it into, to save you the, the, the headache of soldering it. If you're not into that. Yeah. Yeah. Though I would say if if you're okay with the soldering iron, Absolutely. you may be able to, you know, take off the wrap off of your existing one, desolder the connections that are connected to the battery, solder it onto a CR2025 that you buy from the store, and then wrap, you know, put your own insulating wrap around it so it doesn't short anything out. Um, and then the last thing, though, I don't think this is the case. The only other time I've heard the fans spinning up like that is if there's a bad thermal sensor somewhere in the machine, at which and I've heard of this mostly in a uh, IMAX, is that if that sensor is, if that isn't right or placed properly, um, you know the computer will get an incorrect temperature reading and it's going to say, well, I better spin those fans up. So I don't I don't think that's the case. But that's oh yeah, I, I I could think of. Yeah yeah yeah. No, that would make sense. That would make sense. Yeah. So, and yeah, iFixit does have the instructions, but, uh, you know, yeah. it's a, the same experience I have, it, it is, you know, it's ranked as a, you know, like difficult maneuver because you got to rip the whole machine apart. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's, but that's how Macs are these days. You just, you got to expect to dig in. Telcos, but they're nice and thin. So that makes it, does that help? Um. I was gonna. I was. We were the next thing we were gonna do, but we're gonna skip for this particular show. Uh, is we we're gonna talk a little bit about managing memory for Mavericks. Uh, say that ten times fast. That's almost as hard as Mac Geek Cab. But uh, we're gonna wait for another show. A because we sort of teased the topic by talking about uh, Memory Keeper earlier in the show, and I want to hear about your experiences managing memory for Mavericks. And uh, and then we'll sort of consolidate all that. So so send us that stuff um, and we'll, you know, then and then we'll sort of we'll have a we'll have a discussion about it like we do. Uh, but th there is one more that I think makes sense to uh, to go through here. Jed had a question that fits right in with a couple of the things we've talked about here in the show. So uh, take it away, Jed. Yikes. Hey guys, Jed here. Um, just wanted to thank you for your most recent show that I listened to. I don't know the number anymore, but it was about uh, media management and, uh, and uh, ripping DVDs and Blu-rays. And uh, it was great. And I, it was a great show. I feel like it was made just for me. But it that's was. not why I'm actually leaving a message um, or a voice message or whatever. Um, I actually was going, it was about Wi-Fi, which I know you get asked about constantly. However, it's kind of an advice question. If I have three floors, I have a Wi-Fi network on the second floor that actually stretches and reaches both. But I also have the ability through Powerline, I have a Powerline wireless, and through my original router that comes with Fios, to have 
uh, Wi-Fi network on each floor. I've tried naming them all the same, and actually it doesn't work well. It gets very confused. But part of me was debating um, enabling uh, a Wi-Fi network on each floor, mostly for things, my slower internet things, things that run at B or N opposed to uh, B or at G opposed to N. And I was wondering if you think that's smart. Because I know that the G stuff slows down the N, um, is it smarter to have a dedicated uh, BG router and then one that's dedicated N and just know that my faster machines run on the faster network and my slower machines I dedicate to the slower network? Or am I just making the air all crowded with Wi-Fi signals and I should just get over it and run one router? Um, thanks, guys. Uh, love your input. Bye. So um, I, 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 you're, you're balancing several things here. Certainly there is the possibility that having G clients on your N network will potentially slowed things down for the end clients. It, it changes the packet size. And, and so it, it might cause that issue, but uh, you, you, th- that, that's, that's sort of for, for me, that's way down the list of things that will negatively impact my wireless speed. Um, one of the things near the top of the list, but not at the top is the channels, right? You know, if you've got, two things on the same channel. So if you had your B network on, on channel six and, and then you set up a separate router with your N network also on channel six, that's going to ne- negatively impact you way more than just having them all from one uh, router. The thing at the top of the list though, is proximity um, or distance between the router and the client. So my feeling would be given what you told us about your setup uh, that you would be way better served by using your two routers to b- broadcast on everything, a, you know, B, G and N um, and and have them in uh, strategically placed locations so that you've got full or so that you're always close to a router, right? So, if you know, if, if you've got, let's say, you know, on one side of your house is the kitchen and on the other side of your house is the living room. Well, then put one router in the kitchen on, say, you know, channel six and then another router in the living room on, say, channel 11. Or if it's a super high power router, change it to 10 like we talked about. Uh, And then that way you're always close to one of them. And I think that will trump anything else that you would any benefits that you would see from splitting, you know, G off from N and and that kind of thing, because that's going to be really, really minimal benefits at that point. Um, and then if you've got, you know, the, the, the other thing that you can consider if your routers are dual band routers is that you've got the five gigahertz band too. And five gigahertz really is impacted by proximity way more even than 2.4. So if, uh, if you've got a five gigahertz router, you know, in both your kitchen and your living room, well, now you've got great, uh, connectivity there. So that, that's my feeling on it is prioritize channel separation and then proximity and don't worry about the G in the end. But that's my feeling, John. How about you? Hmm. I don't know. I'll, uh, I mean, my setup, I have one locked on N 
is I wanted to keep it pure, and then I have an extension where uh, some of my uh, G devices connect to, and that's how I'm set up, and I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, see, I no. think you're. I think you're wasting your. Uh, would your extension run N if you let it? Well, it's connecting. the The extension is accepting. Uh, will accept different connections, but then the connection from that to the uh, to the main base is uh, N. Is how I have things set up. And it's all running two point four. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I have this one. Well, actually, you know what? I, maybe I want to change the way things are set up. Because I told you, I, I I recently got rid of my only G device, which was the the TiVo extender. So actually, I don't have any G devices. So maybe I want to. Yeah, I don't. No, I'll, I'll leave it like it is. I'm not convinced. I, I I really I stand by my advice. I I think I think if you yeah. if you spend a lot of time worrying about, I, I, certainly there is a a a potential or perhaps not even potential an actual speed hit that you're going to take but speed is the least of our concerns with with wi-fi in that regard you know it, if you've got if you're close to the base it your signal quality is better and and speed will be better because of that i i would let everything connect to everything and just separate your channels out and and pump as many routers into your house as you can um and don't worry about the you know the twitches from all the radiation it's okay mm-hmm when you do that, use the advice that we've talked about. Use the same I, in, in my scenario and yours is going to be different, John, because you're you're running your networks for different reasons. But uh, but in mine, use, I use the same SSID, different channels, same SSID for everything. That That's my feeling. I don't know. I, I You don't think so. Huh? You think I'm crazy? Nah. I mean, the only thing I could do. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's worth the cost. I mean, I could hardwire the two together and then I'd get uh better connection rather than doing the extension thing. Do you not have a couple of power line adapters? No. Oh, okay. Next time you come visit, um, remind me cause I've got, uh, certainly I have an extra two. I probably have an extra oh. four power line adapters, but I can, I can cut two loose and never even miss them. And, uh, and oh. then, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that would be good. Good for you to have. Yeah. All right. Well, I think as much fun as we're having here, I think it's time to, uh, I think it's time to fade the band in. Gonna get ready for football. That's right. You bet. You know what's cool? Um, I, I, I have no uh, emotional attachment to any of the teams that are playing in the Super Bowl today, but I'm really, I, this whole thing that has happened with uh, the Seattle Seahawks and Fish and Russell Wilson. Is really cool. I don't know if you you probably don't notice this because you follow neither the band Fish nor football, John. But um, right, uh, this past summer or last summer, uh, Trey Anastasia, the guitar player from Fish, I guess they all sort of cooked this up. But but on stage one night, they have this song called Wilson, and and the the crowd back in 1994 started doing this chant in the middle of uh, in the middle of, or actually in the beginning of the song where the crowd chants Wilson, and uh, and and he came on stage uh, one night when they were out west and said all right i want you guys to make this happen go ahead and we want when russell wilson walks out onto the field with the seahawks we want the entire stadium to chant wilson because the seattle seahawks they kind of have this they they have this thing they call the 12th man but it's it's the crowd the crowd makes such an impact at these games more so than than kind of anywhere else in the nfl and it worked 
it now happens and the the, the stadium will play the, the little guitar riff from uh, Fish's song and then uh, the whole crowd chants Wilson so I, I'm, I'm stoked to see this fish thing happen in the Super Bowl but I'll have to watch it on TiVo because I'm uh, I've been uh, with a friend I've been mentoring a local uh, band, the, the rock band club at the high school and they have a performance uh, this evening uh, at the local little club called the Stone Church so I'm gonna go watch that and then I'll come home and watch the crowd chant for Wilson on TiVo so that's my excitement about the Super Bowl how about you are you going to a Super Bowl party or anything John Nah, probably, probably watch the game. Maybe get on Twitter and <laughs> well, multitask. No spoilers on Twitter, okay? <laughs> I can't. I can't promise. I know. <laughs> yeah, I like the commercials. Commercials are always fun. Yeah, yeah. I don't really care too much about uh, football. It's a fun game to watch. It's nice to. Uh, have a fire going in the fireplace and watch a football game and maybe play a board game or something. So, Yeah. No, and I like the strategy. You know, I always used to, you know, think football players were mostly, you know, kind of dim meatheads. But uh, no, there's definitely some uh, some strategy. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, big time. In addition to just, you know, brute force and, and colliding with each other. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's a... Yeah, my, my son used to play. He he this I I believe this will be this will have been his last season. Um but uh but yeah, it's it's an interesting game. It 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 requires some thinking, but but like you said, it's there's a lot of impact, like regular impact that uh I don't think we fully know the extent of the damage that can or can't cause. Ah. Uh, it's been speculated. Oh, no. That, I, that's I, been an issue about, absolutely. yeah, you, you get your uh, too many concussions. Yeah, it kind of ruins your life. <laughs> well, it's and it, in and the, not to get too far off on a tangent that we're already on. But, uh, but no, no, no. The, the issue isn't the concussions. It is the repetitive hits to the head that aren't really concussions, technically. But enough of those over time, and, and you wind up with, with an issue, especially with kids. So that wasn't the reason he stopped playing. Um, but, uh, but Lisa and I were sort of like, well, if he gets to high school and he still wants to play football, will we let him? And I don't know what our answer to that question would have been. Uh, we certainly like watching the game. We like watching our son have fun and all of that. But, you know, it's like, wow, there's, the science on this is, is, makes us scratch our heads. But thankfully, Dave, thankfully, we don't have to worry about that. We have to worry about So, hockey. Dave. Yeah, go. Once you recover from a concussion, you may want to get in touch with us. <laughs> That's right. And how do you do that? I'm going to tell you. Uh, you can send an email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And don't forget, it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Unless you're a premium subscriber. Uh, premium contributor, premium supporter, in which case you get to use, you guessed it, premium at MacGeekab.com. And while we try to answer everything, and I, I, frankly, I think we do answer pretty much everything that comes in anywhere, uh, the premium stuff does get prioritized because you do a little bit extra to help us keep the lights on, and we appreciate that. It is good. If you want to call us, anybody can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which John is... Geek. Yes. 
or four three three five. It is. Where else, John? Uh, we're on the Facebooks. Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. We're also on this uh, Google Plus thing. And what's the uh, what's the wacky? Uh... Plus.google.com slash plus. So it's plus. P-L-U-S dot Google.com slash plus. MacGeekGab podcast. I don't know why it's MacGeekGab podcast. But we do have a really cool community over there. I like it. It's fun. It's good. Yeah, you like the latest shiny thing, don't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. And in this case, I very much do. I, I think there's it's way better than the whole the Facebook community. I mean, it, it, the people that are there are great, but the management of it and just the, the whole UI of it and everything sucks compared to what Google Plus is doing. Uh, it's um, it's quite good what they're doing over there. That the iOS interface for Google Plus, I actually I quite like everything about it except the way that as I'm scrolling things are constantly like rolling into my view just scroll them up I don't need it to do this weird extra animation but so but other than that I really like Google Plus um, and you can find Mac Geekab, like well we told you how to find Mac Geekab there and then John and I are obviously there too I, I use Google Plus quite a bit I wish their API would open up so that I could post to it from a another UI but uh, but I have to use Google Plus to get there. So the Twitters. Twitters. Go ahead. I am John Efron. He is Dave Hamilton. The podcast is Mac Geek Gab. The publication is Mac Observer. That it is. And when you uh, if you want to chat with us, you can uh, when we do the show live, you can come to macgeekgab.com slash stream. I really do like having uh, all of you here in the chat room. In fact, those of you that don't come to the chat room, it's totally fine. Of course, that's most of you that listen uh, don't come to the chat room, and that's okay. But the people in the chat room provide a very valuable service. You hear us uh, give shout-outs to them from time to time in the show. But um, they are there and keep us uh, honest, frankly. And if we say something that's either inaccurate or incomplete, it's really handy to have someone right there while we're doing the show say hey what what were you talking about or no you got this wrong or here's something extra it keeps you the rest of the listeners from having to wait a week for us to issue the correction or the addition or all of that stuff so it's uh it's fantastic not only is it fun and that's actually why we started doing it but it is it it's provide it provides that thing that pilot pete provides when he's sitting right here uh but uh but his schedule is such that he can't always be sitting right here so and it and it amplifies it. So it's awesome. Thank you for everybody in the chat room. All right. Let's uh let's wrap this one up, shall we, John? I do want to thank Michael Johnston as always from We Have Communicators, his podcast and getapplo.com, his website. He converts the show to AAC and adds all those chapters for us and for you. Cashfly, those folks are awesome. C A C H E F L Y dot com if you need uh, bandwidth or a CDN. Check them out. They're such good people to work with. The podcast marketplace, as we said, includes the PDF pen family from Smile and everything else. BB Edit from Barebone Software. Gazelle.com. And Squarespace. The code is now MGG. You don't need to remember a funny number. Yay. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. John, if you're going to watch the Super Bowl today, um, that's good. But uh, maybe if uh, I, I don't know what the problem would be, but... Uh, don't get caught. That was the wrong button to push. Oh, I'm really screwing up the end of this show. I think uh, I think I got caught, John. 
Almeida.